Well, hello, church. Hola, Iglesia. I am so excited uh, to introduce our guest speaker to you today. Uh, he'll be known to some of you. Uh, Leroy Lawson was the interim minister before I came to serve here in 2016. Uh, and he was a friend of the church for many, many years before that. In fact, what you'll discover when trying to describe Leroy Lawson is almost everything you have to say needs to include the phrase, many, many years. Uh, that is true of Leroy Lawson. But he was, he was been a friend of the church for a long time and then was our interim uh, and uh, just was a wise uh, and visionary presence as an interim during a time of significant transition for this church. Uh, before that uh, and since, he has been a professor, a pastor, a college president, an author, uh, so much more. He's a great family man and he's one of these people that not only kind of has the family that we all see, but he also just attracts nieces and nephews and daughters and granddaughters and grandsons everywhere he goes and has built such a wonderful, beautiful family that's just a really an inspiration to so uh, many of us. He has been, for me, um, a great ally in ministry. Um, he's been a friend of my family. He was my parents' favorite professor, which just tells you just how young my parents must be uh, to have had their favorite professor here. Um, and it's a real blessing to have him back with us today. So help me welcome uh, Leroy Lawson as he comes to share with us today. Good to have you here, sir. I'm not that old. <laughs> <laughs> Except that I am. In fact, what he didn't tell you was that uh, I was a contemporary in the ministry of his grandfather. And um, he was, his grandfather was one of my, one of my favorites. And it's, what a privilege it is that I can boast that, that uh, I've known that family from generation to generation to generation. And all of them serving the Lord, all of them doing such wonderful things. I've got all kinds of stories I love to tell you. Like, for example, how I'm responsible even for his being here. I mean, not in this church. I mean, being here, period. <laughs> because his parents took a class from me that I taught in our home. On uh, one night of the week, three-hour class, we had a break in the middle for refreshments, and, and his mother and father were in the class, and during that break, they didn't partake of the goodies. They disappeared. We had a porch swing out in the front porch, and we discovered that they would make a beeline for the porch swing, and that's how they spent their breaks, and I am persuaded that that was the beginning of... A romance, actually, I can't take that. I'm getting in deeper and deeper with this thing because, <laughs> but we've been friends that long. That's really what I want you to know. And we've been friends with this church. We joined, my wife and I joined this church in 1965. You've been dear to us for a lifetime. And I consider it such a privilege to be able to come back and talk to you again. I love being your, your pastor for a while. Another privilege. So, Ethan, are you still there? It's so dark. Yeah, yeah. Children of the darkness hate the light. But I'm awfully glad. <laughs> I'm awfully glad you invited me, so thank you. I want, to talk about, I want to talk about loving your neighbor, even in an election year. One of the blessings of our move, uh, we now live in Missouri. One of our blessings 
in moving there is that I have a standing Wednesday noon date with my grandson, Nick. Very proud of this young man, now over 30, married, father of two daughters, delightful, delightful kids, successful entrepreneur, worship leader in his church. He would have been up here with this gang, all around good guy. And I look forward to every Wednesday. We share our faith in Christ. We differ from each other in our political views. Now, most of those, those differences, we, we keep tamped down for the sake of tranquility at the lunch table. But then it happened, June 1, 2022. It was right after the Uvalde shooting in Texas, the mass killing of 19 children and two teachers. I didn't realize how deeply that tragedy had affected me until in the conversation I heard my voice rising and my words flying. Now, I wasn't mad. I was kind of passionate about my convictions. Now, my, my grandson is pretty passionate about his convictions also, and so he was speaking a little stubbornly. Not as noisy as his grandfather. He respects the elderly. Well, Nick and I survived that lunch. We still meet every Wednesday. He still thinks I'm clearly wrong-headed. I keep on wishing that I could convert him to my position, which, of course, is the right one. But every Wednesday, we meet together, and every Wednesday when we separate, we say to each other, I love you. Well, how can we still be friends when we disagree on politics so completely? I hope you heard me. Every Wednesday, when we say goodbye, we say, I love you. And you know why we do that? Because we love each other. Which brings me to the topic of the morning. I want us to think together about how Christians love one another. I'm not unaware that an election is looming. I'm also not unaware that we're not reading or hearing very much about loving one another these days. In our heated, uh, even toxic political climate, love seems hopelessly, uselessly out of touch with reality. It just seems to be so much church talk. Love focuses on how we treat people. Now, that's not generally the appeal that candidates for office make. They would have us believe, because that's what they think we believe, that what really matters is that I get what I want. We've swung so far in the direction of individual rights, our independence, our individual freedoms, that we've forgotten that we belong to community. And that the community has rights also. Rights which may require that we temper some of our selfish demands in order to serve, even to preserve, the community. The best place I know for practicing how to, how to be both an individual with rights and a member of a community <laughs> is the church, where we practice loving one another. Now, this is... This is symbolized perfectly for me in baptism. Baptism makes two statements. 
The first has to do with my personal faith in Christ, my repentance of my sins, my desire to live a better life, and God's forgiveness of my sins, the empowering of the Holy Spirit to help me to live that life. That's all pretty impressive. But there's a second statement that is made at baptism, and that is this. When I was baptized into Christ, I became a part of the body of Christ. I'm no longer isolated. I now belong. I belong to Jesus, and I belong to all others who belong to Jesus. And we belong to the whole human race that we now look at in a new way. Jesus gave himself for the whole world, not just us nice people. You know the scripture. For God so loved the world, he gave his only begotten son. Now, it's it's pretty clear that as the body of Christ, we are to do now as his body what Jesus did then in his body. We... We're on a rescue operation of the world, as he was. But lately, we, we have churches that are being ripped apart by politics. I heard preacher Albert Tate recently put it this way, and I love the way he said it. He said, some folks are trying to elevate the elephant, and other folks are trying to elevate the donkey, and we wonder what happened to the lamb. He's talking about the Lamb of God. He's talking about Jesus. And when my grandson and I were talking politics, we were behaving like the people the preacher was talking about. You could tell easily which side of that table sat the elephant and which side sat the donkey. What saved the day is that we both believe that the Lamb is more important than either the donkey or the elephant. So, for us, whether the issue is wearing masks or not wearing masks, being vaccinated or not being vaccinated, being pro-gun control or anti-gun control, being pro-abortion or anti-abortion, being pro-immigration reform, anti-immigration, should I keep going? The list is long, and it will always be long to people who think it's more important to be an elephant or a donkey than to be associated with a lamb. And the antidote to that, (laughs) well, why, why are my grandson and I still having lunch together? We keep having lunch together. We keep tolerating one another. We keep trying to be nice to each other because, may I repeat myself, I love him. And he loves Grandpa. And that love is so important because you understand, if we don't learn how to love, then, well, let me tell you what the Scripture says about the inevitable outcome. Galatians 5. You, my brothers and sisters, were called to be free. This is at the heart of our lunch time. Both Nick and I cherish our freedom, our independence. As Americans, as Christians, neither one of us wants to give it up. But Paul doesn't stop there, just celebrating our freedom. He calls us to put our freedom to use for others. But do not use your freedom to indulge the flesh. Rather, serve one another humbly in love. 
For the entire law is fulfilled in keeping this one commandment. Love your neighbor as yourself. Love your neighbor as you love your grandkid. Here's Paul's warning. If you, if you bite and devour each other, watch out or you will be destroyed, consumed by each other. Well, in recent months, it, it, it sure seems like we're on a rapid trajectory toward Paul's prediction. I've noticed that nearly every conversation, both, both with people I know and, and those who are strangers in a line that I'm standing in somewhere, are nervous about the tone of our culture. We've grown so touchy. I saw a couple of slogans recently that I like. One says, wishing you a happy whatever doesn't offend you. And another one, just because you're offended doesn't mean you're right Good reminders. It's maddening to turn on the TV or listen to the radio or, or look at social media because within minutes you'll confront an item about someone who has offended someone or who disagrees with someone because they see the world differently and then the name calling starts. There's, there's no shortage of biting and devouring in the social media and in day-to-day -day life. It's good to be reminded that, that bitterness is the poison we swallow, hoping the other person dies. Here's Paul's antidote to that. So I say, walk by the Spirit and you'll not gratify the desires of the flesh, for the flesh desires what is contrary to the Spirit and the Spirit what is contrary to the flesh. They're in conflict with each other so that you are not to do whatever you want. But if you're led by the Spirit, you're not under the law. See, to make certain that we don't misunderstand, Paul now spells this out. The acts of the flesh are obvious. Sexual immorality, impurity and debauchery, idolatry and witchcraft, hatred, discord, jealousy, fits of rage, selfish ambition, dissensions, factions, and envy drunkenness, orgies, and the like. I warn you, as I did before, that those who live like this will not inherit the kingdom of God. Now, we quickly start into this passage and we feel pretty good about ourselves. And we say to ourselves, well, I'm not guilty of these. Boy, this is not me. I'm innocent of sexual immorality and impurity and debauchery and idolatry and witchcraft. I'm a good girl. I'm a good boy. But then these disturbing words, are you innocent of these? Hatred, discord, jealousy, fits of rage, selfish ambition, dissensions, factions. Does this sound like any country you know about? Any state, any county, any town, any church, any person? Who gets a pass on this one? A reminder here, in Galatians 5, Paul confirms the fact that we're called to freedom in Christ, but that our freedom should not be used selfishly, simply to do whatever we want, to get what we want, to please ourselves. Instead, our freedom turns us loose 
to love and to serve others. Paul quoted the scripture from the Old Testament that is repeated in the New Testament, and it's a good indication that this core truth is central to God's character. It's, It's his plan for how we are to behave. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. Well, I quoted the minister earlier, Albert Tate. I want to quote him again. He says, anybody that you listen to that makes you feel better about loving people less is probably godless. Well, that's a wake-up call for us Christians. the, The sad part is that we're beginning to enjoy the negative tone. Is that it? Or is it just that it has become so common that we don't realize how far we have slipped from the clear message of Scripture that instructs us to love others as ourselves? This is the love that flows naturally from loving God. And then, and we do that with all our heart and soul and mind and strength. And then, loving our neighbors. Because Paul's warning, I want to repeat this here. If we don't love as Jesus loved, the biting and devouring will lead us to being, to being consumed by one another. Now, Paul continues with a few verses later with this simple declaration of the fruit of the Spirit. These are not hard words for us to understand, but oh boy, are they hard to put into practice. Here's the fruit of the Spirit. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness. How are you doing? Goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. But you could protest, but these these are so hard. Of course, of course they're hard. Whoever told you that love is easy, even romantic love is not easy. More and more in recent years, I've been asked, Joy and I have now been married 62 years, been with some friends here that make that sound like just we're getting started. But we're asked, 62 years, how is that possible? How can you make a marriage last so long? Oh, the answer is easy. Don't get divorced. (laughs) But that doesn't mean we haven't thought about it. That it didn't tempt us. Because some kind, I understand sometimes divorce is finally inevitable. I'm not talking about those situations. I'm talking about most of us. Sometimes divorce seems so much easier than toughing it out together. Love, ladies and gentlemen, is hard. I read something recently about one of my favorite TV shows back in the 60s, the Andy Griffith Show. Anybody else watch it in those days? I don't know whether you're aware of this. I was not aware of this fact until I read this, and I'm going to quote it to you. The reason Mayberry was so peaceful and quiet was because nobody was married. (laughs) Andy, Aunt B, Barney, Floyd, Howard, Goober, Gomer, Sam, Ernest T. Bass, Helen, Thelma Lou, Clara, and of course, Opie, were all single. The only married person was Otis, and he stayed drunk. The point is, marriage is hard work. 
Relationships are hard work. Love is hard work, which is probably why we're so lousy at it. It's much easier to give in to the desires of the flesh. So 1 Corinthians 13 is where Paul spells out what love looks like. Love doesn't try to impress with eloquent words or intellectual brilliance or the ability to foretell the future or even demonstrations of great faith and religiosity, even by acts of generosity or self-sacrifice. In other words, trying to impress someone isn't the same as loving someone, not by a long shot. Here's what love looks like. Love is patient. Love is kind. It does not envy. It does not boast. It is not proud. Love doesn't dishonor others. It's not self-seeking. It's not easily angered. It keeps no record of wrongs. Love doesn't delight in evil, but rejoices with the truth. It always protects, always trusts, always hopes, always perseveres. Big order. Have you given any thought to what Jesus is going to ask you on the day of judgment? Is he going to interrogate you about your theology, your strict adherence to doctrine, the energy with which you propagated or defended your political party, how you promoted your favorite candidates and successfully attacked your candidate's opponent? What this means for us Christians in a political year is this. I'm quoting that preacher again. He said, if you don't believe the 2020 election was real, how do you treat the people who do? How do you treat those who disagree with you? How do you treat the immigrant, the foreigner? Jesus did not say, you'll know my disciples by their theology, by their doctrine, by their political affiliation. No, he said, you'll know them by their love. Jesus was loving everyone that everyone else was ignoring or berating or demeaning. Now you understand, his, his love was rewarded by a cross. Again, love isn't easy. Here's a good reminder from Maya Angelou. She said, I've learned that people will forget what you said. People for, will forget what you did. But people will never forget how you made them feel. You're getting this sermon this morning because of that lunchtime conversation with my grandson. When the passion died down and we could talk dispassionately, I confessed to Nick that in my later years, I've been trying to deal with two challenges. Well, one really with two parts. The one is I've been trying to grow up. At long last, I've been trying to grow up. Back to 1 Corinthians 13. When I was a child, I talked like a child, I thought like a child, I reasoned like a child. When I became a man, I put the ways of childhood behind me. That's so much easier said than done. But what this says is love grows up. We can add, when love grows up, it looks like Jesus. So my two challenges in my old age as I deal with my lingering childishness that I've been trying to put behind me. Here's the first. 
I really am trying to be less judgmental. Because a judgmental spirit betrays or leads to arrogance, bitterness, a drive to get even no matter what, even more a need to win every argument, defeat every opponent. In other words, this, and this is the bigger challenge, I'm trying to learn to love with the love of Jesus. As I said, at long last, I'm trying to grow up. And that's why, even though I'm certain that everything I said to my grandson on that occasion was the truth, I apologized. I may have been right, but I was endangering our relationship because in the heat of the moment, I was more focused on being right than on being loving. What was I thinking? I have a 50-year advantage over the poor guy. So I apologized because I love him. And because I remembered a little ditty that Ogden Nash wrote and that I picked up probably in the first year of our marriage. And it has helped guide me all my life. In fact, I think I read this to you when I was your pastor. I quote it often. To keep your marriage running, let me start that again. To keep your marriage brimming with love in the loving cup. Whenever you're wrong, admit it. Whenever you're right, shut up. <laughs> I was right in what I said. I was wrong in how I said it. So, my challenge, will you join me in trying to grow up? No matter how old you are. And the best way, and I've said it all through this sermon, the best way I know to grow up is to become more like Jesus. And the best way to become more like Jesus is to love one another. Even in an election year. So help us to that end, Heavenly Father. Help us to love with the love of the Lord. Help us to remember to whom we belong. Help us, even when speaking the truth, as the scriptures admonish us, to speak the truth in love. In that way, we hope we bring honor to you. In Christ's name, amen.